Hi, everybody. I am Peter Travers. This is Popcorn, where we tell you what's popping in the culture. And there's a show now on Netflix called The Politician, which I watch obsessively. <laughs> well, sorry, that's the best way to I'm watch so things. I'm so glad. That's just the way it is to do this. And my guest today is Ben Platt, who stars. He is the politician, but there's a lot of people in this show that they might are. be politicians. Precisely. And Ben, you might know from Dear Evan Hansen. You might know from watching him in Pitch Perfect movies. You know, you're like 10 years old, and yet you've done <laughs> so much. And your, your album? Yes. I mean, how do you do all this? Do you have a life? I try to. Nope. I mean, I try to find the pockets of time between things and really protect them at all costs and try not to let them get permeated by sort of like the the side products of other things and really try to take those moments. But certainly not right now. There's not a lot of them because everything's kind of coming to a head at, at once. But it's all wonderful stuff. Yeah. I remember seeing your uh, concert at the Beacon Theater back in... Thanks for coming. Was it May? I yeah. guess it was mm-hmm. May, yeah, to do that. And to do that and to come off a run in a show that is uh, for those people that got to Broadway to see it mm-hmm. is um, affects people so emotionally. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. And I just kept saying, how does he do that eight times a week? I have no idea. How is it possible? It was. It just required that I kind of turn the volume down on everything else in life and just really live in service of doing that show every night. And as far as how I was taking care of myself physically, mentally, emotionally, sleep, food, supplements, physical therapy, all that jazz... Um, sounds so glamorous. I know, wonderful. Don't you want to do this? <laughs> Which is why it takes a role as special as Evan and Evan Hansen to really make you want to make those sacrifices. And, and, and you know, I, I always want to go back to the stage, and I, I hope I have the opportunity to do that a lot in life. But it's the kind of thing that you need to kind of take a step away from, I think, because it's not a sustainable way to consistently live. It just, it, you just have to kind of say goodbye to everything else for a little bit. Well, you have to come. I mean, what you're doing to me strikes me as uh, a really intelligent move to play somebody like you do in The Politician. Mm -hmm. Peyton is not Evan Hansen. Certainly not. Uh, There are times where really you just go. (sighs) Exactly. You just hold your head in your hands and you're like, why do I still want to watch this guy? He has money, privilege, everything else. But you describe him. When you first, when Ryan Murphy, I assume, contacted you and said, we're doing this series as politician, and you probably said, Ryan, Ryan who? <laughs> yeah. but, Hardly. Yeah, yeah. I, Glee was very formative in my upbringing in high school, so I've always been a I'm Ryan glad Murphy to hear. Fan, yeah. huge fan. Mm-hmm. And he pitched it to me very much leading with what you've said, which is, I think you need to a departure. And I, as an actor, certainly in that Evan Hansen time, that's exactly what I was looking for. I didn't know what form that would take, but something that would stretch me in an entirely different direction, but still utilize some of the skills that I love to use the best, like singing and, and sort of vulnerability and finding the humanity and someone who's a bit of an anti-hero. And so Ryan was very smart in saying this is someone, you know, egomaniacal, has sociopathic tendencies, he's ambitious, he is takes up space in a room, he doesn't want to sink into his chair and disappear mm-hmm. the way that Evan does. And uh, For me, it was like the perfect kind of scary, like uh, the stomach flip that you look for as an actor where you're like, that's not something I've ever seen myself do, but I want to. <laughs> that's great. I want to be a wreck while I'm shooting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, because sometimes playing confidence... It's hard. Because <laughs> you wake up and you don't, from? you don't feel that way. Yeah. I mean, not, certainly, this is my first foray with TV, and 
Ryan has a very well-oiled machine and people who know very well what they're doing and extraordinary actors all over the place, Gwyneth Paltrow and Jessica Lange and, you know, Zoe Deutsch and Bob Balaban. And so I, you know, it was a scary thing to start and I certainly wasn't always feeling the way that Peyton does, but I think having to rise to the occasion for the material and for Ryan kind of forced me to find that sort of pompousness in him, I think. What was the most intriguing thing about him to you? I think how deeply he is able to feel when it works for him is really intriguing to me. Because I think it's very easy to look at a character and think like, oh, if he's a sociopathic tendencies, meaning like he can't really feel anything and he just everything is kind of glazed over for him. And that's really not the case. If, if it's something that's affecting his rise or his, you know, his ability to, to reach his goals, then he can feel jealous, he can feel angry, he can feel devastated, he can feel all these things. So that was really fascinating to me. But then when he's being asked to feel for someone else before himself or f- uh, instead of his own gain or that gets in the way of what his dream is for himself it kind of is a short it's like the, the spout is dry it's it's um, that kind of dichotomy has been really fascinating to me well because we're seeing him being this <clears throat> person in the beginning of the show who has basically can't feel mm-hmm. but he's doing a good job at faking it very good <laughs> Very good you know, job. Which is a lot of way people go through life. It's true. You know? I mean, we all do it at times. You can't times. do it. You have to fake it to do it, especially if you're running for office. Yeah, well, so yeah. it's in this, it's a high school. Mm-hmm. But it, it's exactly the same. It's run by the same principles. 100%. Yeah. And I, what I love about the show is that you, which we were kind of talking about before, is you get to see him while he's still being molded into a person and mm-hmm. he's just beginning to figure out who he is. So that now when we, if you get to the end of the season, as you have, and find out that we are going to move well beyond high school right away, it's very fascinating to see this world and this tone and this guy kind of picked up out of that very specific space and is see there, how he fares. Is there a plan to go X number of seasons with him? I mean, I think it all is very much dependent on how people are responding, of course, and you never, oh, come nothing on. is Who guaranteed. <laughs> we definitely have a second that we're starting to, to make uh, later this month. Uh, I think in our dream world, in like the perfect world, the, the concept has always been, I think, five seasons. Uh, Ending in either the attaining of the presidency or lack thereof. Uh-huh. Um, but we'll see how far we get. Start with season two. Well, let's take a look at you oh, as Peyton. Let's make that screen just turn <laughs> to the politician. I'm going to be president of the United States. It does seem to be the hot job everyone aspires to nowadays. The air of impossibility has been removed. Yes, well, I had that dream when I was seven years old, Dean Lawrence, and I spent my entire life studying the lives of former presidents in order to identify common experiences and traits that led to their inevitable election victories. Such as? Well, I only went back as far as Ronald Reagan because as far as I'm concerned, he created the modern presidency, the presidency of television and celebrity. People like to think of their presidents as characters they see on TV. Most never actually see them in real life. Reagan and Bush Sr. were both presidents of their senior classes in high school. Which I assume you were on your way to accomplishing. I believe I have the election well in hand, yes. That's the most depressing piece of comedy. (laughs) (laughs) But the the line about the air of impossibility being removed is uh, time capsule worthy, I think, to do this. I think so. What do you feel when you see yourself on screen? Oh, well, I've sort of been desensitized to this particular project now because we've been promoting it, and so Mm -hmm. I've seen it with a number of audiences and in a number of different situations. But 
usually it's very difficult because you're nitpicking, you know, what shots did they choose and how is it coming across and I wish I had known to turn this way and I wish I had, you know, why is my suit riding up my shirt? Like little little things like that. It's hard to get out of the minutia. But with this particular show, when we all watched it together for the first time, Ryan had us over to watch the binge the whole thing once it was finished. I found that the world was engrossing enough that I could kind of zoom out enough to stop kind of overanalyzing myself and actually enjoy the piece as a piece and watch the story and get sucked into the twists and the turns. And that bodes well, I think, for me and for this show. But it's certainly never my favorite activity to watch myself. Well, you grew up in this business. Mm, I did, So indeed. you're always around it, right? Always, from the get-go. Yeah, my, my dad's in the biz. And he's a producer. and Yeah, he's in the biz. He's okay. Mark Platt. <laughs> yeah. So, so I've been little around. shows on Broadway, yeah, occasional La La Land yeah. movie, you Indie know, things. Musical, wicked. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've, it was very normal. I think the best part of that is that it's all been very normalized for me. So I never had the hurdle of like, you know, being nervous about the logistics of it or the people or the like sort of fame of all of it. It just it felt like kind of a normal situation so that I could focus more on like, how do I be great at it? When did you think you wanted to do it? For as long as I can remember having any kind of autonomy or like, you know, actual consciousness. I, I started singing when I was like six years old in like a youth theater program that all of my siblings did. And I just really loved it and took to it and spent all of my time doing shows in my backyard. And I, it was all I really was interested in doing. And then I started working when I was nine years old. It was my first job. So I've been... Oh, well, you waited till nine. I know, right? Yeah. I took a minute to get a little season. Played Oliver. <laughs> I played uh, The Prince and Cinderella. Uh, you had to do all of that before. And were you encouraged by your parents to do this? Yes. I mean, I think, of course, knowing what the business is, my dad never would wish that upon his child. It's a lot of rejection, and it's not an easy life Well, that's choice. what it is. It usually is. It's, 90% of the time. <laughs> but I think as soon as he saw, and my mom saw that I had an ability to back up how much I loved it and how passionate I was about it, they were incredibly supportive. I read somewhere that you had done... Yeah, the music man where you were Winthrop. Yes, that know? was the first game. Yeah, could you nine. could you do that little lift yes, of, of course. Winthrop and you? Sister, <laughs> sister. Wells Fargo wagon. Isn't it the most grumptious thought goal thing you ever thought? That was my first line. <laughs> that was the beginning. <laughs> yes. And Chris and Channel with Eric McCormick. It was a great cast. It was awesome. Oh, good because it's nobody's. You're just yeah. working. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it. In just here, Jessica Lange, <laughs> Paltrow, Oscar winners coming out. New Do talents. you feel intimidated ever? Of course. Having grown, really, can you feel it? Less so by fame and by sort of notoriety and more by just how well-versed they are and how fantastic they are. And they're veterans at on-camera acting and they're, they're, they're movie stars, both of them. And, you know, I'm, I'm being sort of charged with leading this show and leading the pack and leading the story and I wanted to be worthy of that and create a character that was interesting enough to be the kind of focal point of all these incredible actors and relationships and so I think if anything it was a good intimidation it was sort of like forced me to bring my A game but you know a lot of people you'd pitch perfect mm-hmm. and then you did the sequel you, you got a fan base out of that people loved your character you did magic he just <laughs> you know acapella everything that was mm-hmm. there do you have any fear about when you were doing that or did you just can you just relax and do it I think what was nice about that particular experience is that it was Jason Moore directing it and he came from the theater as Mm -hmm. well so he spoke to me in a way that I felt really comfortable and I could uh, understand and it made that transition to on camera a lot easier I think and the fact that it was a musical film and we had scenes where we were performing on stage and that was so much my comfort zone that it felt like a really nice way to transition I don't think I really thought about the sort of fan-based notoriety or anything because it was such a small movie when we made mm-hmm. it. It was this little kind of 
theater camp that we made in Louisiana where we made this tiny little strange movie about acapella and we had no idea that it would catch on the way it did uh, and then it just kind of became a pleasant surprise from there and one thing led to another and most importantly it brought me to Book of Mormon which was an unbelievable experience and allowed me to <laughs> debut on Broadway which had always been my dream um, so I'm very grateful for this. Yeah, look at that. Dear Evan Hansen, Book of Mormon, such small plays mm-hmm. that do it. And yet... I like to choose the off-the-beaten-path uh, stuff. Just really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like to start small. No, the what happened with you and Dear Evan Hansen is, doesn't happen often. No. And when people saw you in that, including myself, you go like this. Whoa. You know? Who is that? Mm-hmm. Oh, was he from Pitch Per... Yes. But there's something about Evan Hansen that's almost once in a lifetime. And oh, yet you're, certainly. You were, what, 23? Uh, when we started developing it, I was about 21. And then yeah. by the end of the experience, I was 24. So that is, when I'm talking about the politician and what you're doing, it as good and as exhilarating and as experienced that is, that can sometimes be an albatross. For it? sure. It can be, is this hanging over my head? Totally. I mean, are they going to say he's not as good as he was in Evan Hansen? I mean, 100%. I always say that it was sort of like 99% the greatest blessing of my entire life and 1% a curse because it's you become synonymous with that one person and people think you are that very anxious kid with a broken arm and it's it's just you and there's no separation. And certainly there are pieces of him that I, I have, but I was really eager to depart in several ways. And I think the combination of this character of Peyton that Ryan presented me with and also the opportunity to write my own music and start performing as my own pop artist sort of free from character was a really nice way to move forward from that experience. That is, a, and it's a great album. And, Thanks. you know, yeah. Sing to me instead. Yes, indeed. Instead of whom? Sing to me instead sort of to me means a couple things. It means rather than try to explain something to me verbally or try to get me to understand the pragmatic logistic mm-hmm. of it, just let's make music about it. And also... It kind of also. There's a lot of music, particularly popular music right now, that focuses on a lot of things other than the music and the lyrics and the singing. And I just wanted the album to be like, I don't really have a lot of bells and whistles to show you. All I really have is the singing. So, other rather than give you all of those things, allow me to just sing to you instead. And it works. And it, and you do get to be separate from a character. Mm-hmm. You can make the characters of your own life. They're not all you. Yes, for sure. You know, they're pieces of all things that I. That come from my own experiences and, and things like that. Well, they do. The, mm-hmm. the what was it, is it the song "Ease My Mind," which mm-hmm. was seen to you as a public coming out. People would say, "Oh my God," you know. But mm-hmm. that didn't happen to your friends or the people in your life. This was a no shock to them. Yes, exactly. I mean, it was this kind of dichotomy. It's like I, I, of course, wanted to be honest and very specific about all the experiences that I was depicting, but I also. I'm of the camp that we are beyond the point of needing any kind of announcement where that's concerned mm-hmm. or any sort of like, you know, uh, moment of revelation. I think it should just be kind of an assumed part of people's identity, which I think is one of the things I really love about the politician is that sort of the queerness of the characters is rampant throughout the piece and is never commented on or isn't a source of trauma for anyone. It's just sort of colors the relationships. Well, there's a kind of great fluidness exactly. in the politician. Exactly. It's You don't really have to say you're anything. Exactly. You could know, be you. And this is the way it is. Exactly. Yeah. You can have a relationship with someone who's, you know, your political partner and is helping you get ahead and who you relate to because you have the same personality and she's a mm. woman. And then your relationship with a man who has all the empathy you've never had and you're fascinated by him because he can feel all the things you can't. And it doesn't really have anything to do with the fact that one's a woman and one's a man. When they wanted you to sing on The Politician, was that something you were happy to do? Yes. I think I was very 
careful, as was Ryan, to make sure that it felt like sort of accented moments and like part of the character and organic to the character and that there was reason enough. And that's why I think there are so few moments and we really wanted to make them count as opposed to continually in each episode elbowing in a reason for me to say. Well, Joni Mitchell River is is completely integral and organic to what's happening in that. Very dishearteningly, I've had a a lot of young people say to me, that's a great song that they wrote for the for the episode, <laughs> and I'm like, oof. No. On the one hand, thank you so There's much, but on Joni. the other hand, Joni, Joni, Joni. Joni, and then Unworthy of Your Love, right? So from you get The Assassins, of course. and then you get Billy Joel, mm-hmm. which is all good. And the Merrily We Roll Along movie that you're making, I'm really resentful of because I don't know if I'll be dead when you finish it. You toy, know? toy, toy. But it's, it's going to be Rick Linkletter and 20 years in the making? Yes, 18, I think, is the proper number. We're going to follow the exact 18, map. only 18. Only okay, 18. I We're might fine. make it. We're fine. <laughs> wow. We're trying no, to this f- is good. Follow the literal map of the piece from, I think it's 57 to, I think it ends in like 75. Um, so we're we're going so like if there's you know three years between sequences we'll wait three years to shoot if there's four years we wait four years if there's one we wait one it's like boyhood exactly except yeah. there's there's already such a roadmap in the piece um, which a lot of people I think you know we know merrily roll along and the musical theater community knows the show but there are a lot of people hearing just the part about the eighteen years and the link later mm-hmm. which is exciting in and of itself because boyhood's so brilliant but I think. Not a lot of people understand what an amazing marriage of concept to this particular piece that is and how it kind of solves an issue that the piece has always had. Um, so it always, there's always been issues with it when it's uh, presented anyhow because people say, this book isn't working, and yet it's one of the great Stephen Sondheim scores of all score. time. So I'm wishing you all luck that that happens. Thank and you. you have your friend Beanie Feldstein in it with you. My best friend since we were 14. Really? Yes. And we've always considered ourselves Charlie and Mary. And we've talked about how we wanted to play Charlie and Mary. And oh, that's just a little it's, scary. It's ridiculous. You know, but at the same time, a lot of fun. It's unbelievable. And the, when they pitched me, when uh, Rick Linklater and Jonathan Mark Sherman, who's the co-conceiver and producer of the piece, pitched it to me, they allowed me to... They, they knew right away that they wanted me and Beanie together, but they told me first and they let me be the one to call her and tell her. And she just first was very mad at me. She was like, please don't play this joke on me. This isn't funny. <laughs> and I was like, I swear to you, this is real, 100% real. I just sat down with him. I looked him in the eye. He told me 18 years. He told me, you and me. So it's it's all very heady. If anything, it's just... You and me, kid. You and me. Yeah, isn't it? It's happening. It's truly it happening. Re- it really... And you shot that first part. We so shot our time, yeah. Which is actually the finale. Well, it should be. Mm-hmm. So I you have to wait till you're in your 40s till you, you do Franklin Shepard Inc. I know. Yeah, well, I have a long I just, time to prep those I lyrics. No, you do. You <laughs> have, you gotta, there's something about that that's so challenging and fascinating to me. You know. If anything, it's know like know a fire under my butt to stay well and, you know... Well, you have practice. You, I don't know what your regimen is that keeps you uh, healthy and ready to go, but keep doing it. I'm keep try. doing it. Thanks. All right, we have to have a couple of questions from oh, the world sure. outside. Oh, fabulous. I want to know what they think. From Issa Spitzner, she says, do you have any plans to return to Brazil for a concert? Many fans expect this. They do you expect feel pressure? It. I don't know why they would expect, expect it. I've never it. said what anything about it. Uh, I went for the first time for the press for the politician, and I loved being there. I mean, I, I've never done any extra U.S. show of any kind other than one concert in London, but eventually I'd love to be touring all sorts of places, so I'd love to come to Brazil. All right. He said, though, that can happen. Let's see what's next. Uh, JD wants 11. Are you already thinking about working on a new album? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always finding pockets of time to work with co-writers and write new stuff. I think the the question is always, is it a song that is a standalone song, like the song Rain that I released last month, or is it starting to feel like another congregation of experiences in like one piece? 
Um, so I think it'll be a little while before I have one that I feel proud enough of to follow up the first album with. But, but aren't you always thinking of it? In your always, head? yes, always writing. I have like there's always like six or seven songs happening. Um, but I, I certainly will have a second album at some point. Because you were show tunes growing up, and you're show tunes now, right? Always. This I is mean, it. This is the Bible. Always. Of what it is. Well, that's how. I mean, I think even a pop song is only interesting when you arrive somewhere at least slightly different than where you began the song, which is a musical theater trope 101. So I'm. <laughs> I, I, I would never throw those skills out of the window. Well, this show, this is the first time you're on, always ends in a piece of song, or just a little bit of something. So what's in your head, Ben Platt? What is it? Ooh, I should sing something? Sing something, just a tiny something. It started out like a song. We started quiet and slow with no surprise. And then one morning I woke to realize we had a good thing going. See, and you, Marilyn Monroe Long fans, are going to have to wait so long to hear, that, yeah. to hear him on screen singing that, that song. That one's in like 12 years. But I, I, was just 12, I was just 12, so great. And that you did a little of it here, I'm thrilled. Ben, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, that was great. 